Okay, pasa mufasa. Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. This is a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. I'm your host, Dennis Walker, and today on the pod, we've got an extraordinary individual who is leveraging his extensive background in the corporate world to oversee the launch of the first global functional and psychedelic mushroom brand. Let's give a warm welcome to Mr. Douglas K. Gordon, Chief Executive Officer of Silo Wellness. How do we help people? How do we get this message of healing out to as many people as possible? How do we take something that was previously or presently stigmatized in a negative way? And how do we now bring that to market in a way in which not only do we make it commercially viable, but we also create a more receptive environment where people want to learn more? Today, Mr. Gordon is going to drop some intel on how he arrived at his current position as CEO of one of the world's most prolific psychedelic companies. He's going to share a little bit about the emerging legal psychedelic mushroom industry in Jamaica and what that means for individual and collective prosperity in the Caribbean region and beyond. And we're going to discuss the launch of the Marley One brand, the ethos behind it, and how the opportunity to collaborate with the Marley family on the world's first global functional and psychedelic mushroom brand came to fruition. It is the goal of the Mycopreneur podcast to bring you the people behind the brands that are defining the mushroom revolution and to provide a platform for discourse that demystifies these human narratives that are shaping the emerging psychedelics industry. Today we have a world-class Mycopreneur who is an absolute pleasure to engage with. So let's get down to business. K. Pasa Mufasa, Mr. Douglas K. Gordon, welcome to the Michaelpreneur Podcast. How's it going today, Douglas? It's going very well, Dennis. How are things in your world? Well, if I'm honest, I wish that I was down in Jamaica last week because you've certainly had an eventful week down there just wrapping up the Can-X Psychedelic Summit that ran June 15th to the 16th in Montego Bay. So let's use that as a jumping off point. What were some of the highlights of the conference for you? And are we going to see a second iteration of the Canex Psychedelic Summit next year? Certainly. So, I mean, my highlights were just seeing so many of the players who are involved in the industry and others who have, you know, a determinate role in its direction, attending, conversing, you know, on this sort of very collaborative mindset of how do we take the industry forward? How do we take some of the lessons from cannabis, CBD, et cetera, et cetera, and improve upon that in terms of how we roll out a framework for, for the psychedelics industry. So it's extremely encouraging from that perspective, Dennis. There's like really intelligent folks presenting some very captivating, interesting points of view. I left there better informed than when I started. So, you know, from that perspective, extremely pleased with the outcomes, extremely, extremely pleased, particularly, you know, the challenges of, of executing something in this type of environment right now with, you know, folks saying, oh, I'm coming. But then I was like, hey, the, the, the quarantine is such that I changed my mind. I don't, I'm not going to quarantine when I get back home, et cetera, et cetera. And it's all, of course, completely understandable. But, but net net, it was fantastic. What we're going to do is certainly have the summit in 2021, 2022, sorry, a little early in the, in the year, May, because we want to give some, some, some bandwidth between that event and the one that we have in September, which is our larger Canix Jamaica event, which will be held this year and include psychedelics. I have a couple of friends and former podcast guests here on the Micropreneur podcast that presented on panels as part of the conference. Shout out Darren Springer, shout out Jasper Deganars, and there were a few other presenters 
who really caught my eye, including the St. Vincent and the Grenadines Minister of Agriculture, Saboto Caesar. Now, Jamaica is currently host to the world's only legal psilocybin mushroom industry, I believe, and there's a tremendous economic potential that arises from embracing this rising tide of global interest in psychedelic and functional mushrooms. Do you foresee neighboring island nations in the Caribbean, like St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and the Bahamas, etc., following in Jamaica's footsteps in regards to psychedelic mushroom legalization and the creation of very profitable industries around that? Well, definitely St. Vincent and the Grenadines, you know, as a starting point. You know, they, I, I commend them even for how they approach cannabis. You know, from when they decided to legalize to when they actually put the regulations in place was probably one of the shortest periods of time anywhere around the world. So, you know, the fact that they've taken psychedelics on and they've started off in a very sort of testing manner uh, with what they allow right now. But, you know, what Minister Caesar said to me is that, look, they have full blessing from, you know, the highest, the highest ranks over there and they're going to implement a legal framework and they're going to have a psychedelics industry in St. Vincent de Grenadines. So, you know, they say that, I believe them. You know, him jumping on a plane and navigating through all the quarantines and the different jurisdictions to get to Jamaica, you know, says to me that they're very serious about making this work. And his feedback post-conference with the people he met at the conference are such that I have every belief that he's going to follow through very, very assiduously in, in bringing this to life. What other jurisdictions do, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I would love to see more Caribbean nations uh, pursue a, a legal framework, a regulatory framework, and not just for you know, the, the potential economic benefits to the country, which are significant, but also because we have been, as a, as a, as a region, we have also underserved mental health people, people who suffered mental health ailments in the region in a, in a very poor fashion. You know, professionals who work in this space, I take my hat off to them because they do so in many instances with one hand behind their backs, a lack of resources, a lack of medication, and certainly, you know, a lack of regard in, within the communities and the medical communities and so forth. So I think psychedelics offer such a powerful pathway to healing people and in the process, healing so many people who have been underserved in the region for such a long time. I've been to Jamaica in 2006 and it was there in Negril, Jamaica, actually, that I first laid eyes upon a psilocybin mushroom. A dude on a motorcycle pulled up next to me and a friend while we were walking and he introduced himself as Defarma. And he offered us this beautiful fruiting body specimen. Now, I was 16 at the time, Douglas, and I was with my family, so I didn't take him up on his generous offer, but I'll always remember that gentleman introducing me to a world that I didn't know existed up until that point. I'd read about psilocybin mushrooms, I'd had friends who had partaken in magic mushrooms, but I'd never personally seen one in the flesh. Another visceral memory that I have from my time in Jamaica is the omnipresence of Bob Marley's legacy. Right when we got picked up at the airport, the taxi driver had a six pack of red stripe on ice for us, and he told us that he was Bob Marley's cousin. And I must have met 15 people on that trip who claimed to be Bob Marley's cousin, aunt, neighbor, etc. So the Marley legacy is ubiquitous in Jamaica and around the globe. And it's only fitting that the first global psychedelic and functional mushroom brand coming out of Jamaica, courtesy of Silo Wellness, would bear the Marley name. I'm of course referring to the Marley One product line. How did the opportunity to collaborate with the Marley family come about? 
Well, the actual genesis of the relationship preceded my time with Silo, but you know, it's, it, it, it represents and speaks to what runs through us as an essential part of our DNA as a business, which is how do we help people? How do we get this message of healing out to as many people as possible? And so in the pursuit of finding a brand, again, lessons learned from the cannabis industry to CBD space, but how do we take something that was you know, previously or presently stigmatized in a negative way and how do we now bring that to market in a way in which not only do we make it commercially viable, but we also create a more receptive environment where people want to learn more. People want to understand, you know, why is it that these previously held beliefs should, should be shifted? And, you know, when you deal with a name like Marley, it checks all of those boxes, so to speak. But for me, it goes well beyond checking boxes. It goes well beyond looking at something that has global recognition and global uh, trust and authenticity. You know, you go to the messages of Bob Marley, you go to his words, and it's almost eerie the way some of the, the words in his songs and some of his utterings and interviews and, and, and so forth are so relevant today and arguably more relevant today than they were when he made them. And so, you know, I always used to think that when Bob Marley spoke of, you know, one love and one people and we're all one, it meant as individuals. It meant that as a, as, a, as a black guy in the Caribbean, I'm one with a white guy in America and one with a, you know, a, a Chinese person, uh, you know, whatever. You know, we're all one, black, green, yellow, what, ha what have you. We're all one kind. But I see it as more than that now. I see it as we're all one with the earth. You know what I mean? The whole universe is one. Like the idea that we can heal our traumas, our personal human traumas, with medicine that comes from the ground, from the earth. And you know, with all the research that has been done over time, trying to understand the brain and how, sh how short it has been in the sense that there's so many new things to discover. And so many scientists that have studied the brain will tell us there's so much they don't know. And yet what we found in psychedelics is a natural um, fungi that can help us heal us as human beings. So again, it goes back to this very overarching concept that Bob Marley espoused, which is that we are all one. The energy of the earth and the trees and the people, we are all as one. And so if we hurt one aspect, we hurt ourselves. And if we heal by using another aspect, we also heal ourselves. We've been absolutely blown away by the response. You know, there's the, the, the sales and the production, all that stuff is trying to keep up with demand. You know, we have more and more um, channels that are opening up to us that are interested in carrying the Marley One line all across the globe. So it's a good problem to have, but you know, it really speaks in, in large volume, not just to the power of the Marley name, but also you know, the, the, the desire that people have for natural pathways to healing. And so that's where I think we sort of sit at the apex of those two worlds in a very great space. And now it's for us to get you know, commercially out to market as soon as we can, so that more and more people have the opportunity to benefit from the products. So I'd love to talk about how you ended up in this position as CEO of a publicly traded, vertically integrated psychedelic mushroom company. I don't imagine that you just rolled out of bed one day and magically inherited this position. When did you first dip your toes into the world and the business of mushrooms? And at what point did you dive in headfirst and become Douglas K. Gordon, CEO of Silo Wellness? So I met the founder of Silo in 2019. He was here in Jamaica and, you know, I have tremendous respect for the way he approached his business. You know, he, he pounded the pavement. He went to all the different guys in the grill and wherever else that you, you encountered 
um, asking about mushrooms, you know, where are they cultivated, who cultivates them, who's good, who knows. And so in, that, in the journey that got him to Jamaica, somehow, I guess, he stumbled across my name as someone he, he should meet or what have you. And, you know, he came to meet me in my office, explained to me what he was doing in terms of his business. At the point in time, I was looking, I was considering the distribution possibilities when he was ready to come to market. And, um, and that, was, that was basically it. And then a year later, which was in 2020, Mike Arnold, that's his name, Mike uh, called me up, gave me an update one year on in terms of where the business had evolved to, and told me he was looking for a CEO for the company. And I said, no problem, Mike, you know, I have a pretty robust Rolodex, let me give it some thought, you know, give me some parameters in terms of what you're looking for, and uh, let me see if I can, I can suggest anyone to him. So the following day, I called him up and I said, no, he called me up and said, yeah, Mike, I have two, two really great candidates I think would be perfect based on what you're looking for. And, um, you know, but they had a couple questions and I gave him the questions and he said, look, I was really hoping you would do it. And so we had this back and forth because, you know, my hands were fairly full at the time. But what really drew me to the silo wellness opportunity was his great passion and connection to helping people. This wasn't just an opportunity to sort of jump into a hot space, come up with a really cool PowerPoint deck, raise some money on that, and play the sort of, you know, the sort of stock market game and exit before you've actually built anything. You know, Mike and the different verticals of the business that were being um, at that point contemplated and pursued, it was really had this core, this core vision of how do we help people. And that, that drew me to the business because I, I like the idea of you know real business and doing things that you know you have a benefit out of it it's not just the commercial aspect of it but you're really doing something to have a much more holistic and, and, and rewarding sense of, of, of you know outcomes sorry outcomes from doing that business and that's what drew me to silo so we, we talked and he outlined the opportunity to me and and I, and I you know I jumped in and I, I have to say Dennis is probably one of the best decisions that I've, I've ever made because you know, when we even have people on retreats, not, notwithstanding all the challenges of going public and all the scrutiny and all the people you've got to talk to and all the different parts that are involved in, in a startup that's basically operating on four or five different fronts, you know, the, the real driving thing here is people who come to our retreats and can speak to the transformative nature for their personal lives. And when you start to think about, you know, having 10 people on a retreat, and you've only gotten feedback from three because the others you just haven't spoken to. And the power with which they can, they can speak to that experience from them in that one specific retreat, it's extremely empowering. That's what really fires me up to sort of say, we have this wonderful opportunity to spread healing across the world. And we have to do it smart because we're in business. We have to do it intelligently and responsibly. But fundamentally, we have to take full advantage of how do we amplify this, 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 this opportunity to help as many people as we can. And that, that's really, the, a sort of say, the driving DNA within silo wellness. It's my understanding that you had a very multinational upbringing, having been born in New York and then raised between Trinidad and Tobago and also England, and then back to the U.S. for college, one of the most inspiring aspects of mushrooms to me is their universality. They have the potential to connect and bind and establish common ground across cultures and borders. 
I had a very global upbringing myself, and when I first tapped into the power of psychedelic mushrooms, I had a sense of familiarity and connection that echoed a lot of the insights that I've gleaned growing up in a multicultural environment and traveling. And having this global perspective really helped me to embrace and appreciate the universal themes and a more holistic understanding of life and the world that also can arise during a psilocybin mushroom experience. And as a podcast host and micropreneur these days, I very much appreciate having the ability to fluidly communicate and connect with people across industries and cultures and age demographics and to draw from seemingly disconnected pools of ideas and resources to solve problems with a hybridized approach. What are some of the ways that your multinational upbringing has benefited you as a micropreneur, Douglas? Oh, great question. I, I, I think, you know, on a, on a very simple level, it's, it's, it's feeding into, you know, you use the word universe, universality just now, right? And, you know, and that's kind of what it is to me. It's not a matter of understanding, you know, folks from the U.S. and they have U.S. problems or folks from the Caribbean, they have Caribbean problems or folks from Europe and have European problems. The reality of it is each one of us as individuals have suffered trauma, right? And the whole, the whole idea of how we address it is what I think is so powerful about psychedelics. It's allowing us each, no matter what our backgrounds, no matter where we've been raised, no matter where we went to school, no matter what we do, it allows each one of us to seek being our best selves. Our best selves are right inside of us. And what the whole psychedelic experience does in helping us to rewire our neural pathways is to be able to access more of who we actually are. So many of us are less than we are. We're more concerned about public opinion. We want to know that we do the right thing. We start to impose all these judgments on ourselves of things we do. And this allows us to just shed the nonsense, right? Shed all the bullshit that is about other people and be who we are. And in that process, what we see is that we have a pathway here to help people across the globe, right? And at, at the Canix Forum, we had a psychiatrist, Dr. Delahaye, Winston Delahaye, who's from Jamaica, who's trained at Johns Hopkins in the same era with all these you know, brilliant minds of psychedelics, okay? And he said something that I found so profound. He said, psychedelic medicine, you use it to treat the unwell. So you have anxiety, PTSD, other ment mental health and depression issues but you also use it to treat the well, because now you can become more of who you are. So whereas in the past, we have had this, these two camps, right? Indigenous, the indigenous world, a naturalist and traditionalist and so forth, and then, you know, modern medicine, right? And those almost seem like two completely separated universes. What we have in psychedelics is the embodiment of exactly what Dr. Delahaye said. You have the indigenous community who have known about the power of psychedelic medicine and spoken to it for so long. And we, from a, med a Western medical perspective, have completely rejected you know, th that thinking, right? And now that we're looking at it from a Western perspective, all of a sudden it's, it's good. What we mustn't allow to happen, Dennis, is to now re reframe what's good and what's bad. Because, because it was good today in this judgment, it doesn't mean it was bad. It means we didn't understand it. And just because we use it a certain way doesn't mean that's, that's applicable across the board because we also have to be responsible in understanding that psychedelics are extremely powerful compounds. 
So it's important that when you go through a retreat or guided session, you have the full spectrum of what to expect, what to, how to understand it, so you can get the best benefit from that experience. And I think these are things that in the industry we have to be very cognizant of as we, as we get people back from a, 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 an inaccurate place of stigmatization, that we're also educating them on how this can help them and how it should be used in that process. I'm curious to hear about your outlook on the possibility of psilocybin legalization around the globe. Jamaica is a fairly small country with a reputation for plant medicines and bush doctor culture, etc. But I wonder how the legalization and liberalization of psychedelic mushrooms would play out in much larger and historically draconian societies, societies like the United States and Australia, etc. Do you foresee a future in which more and more nations embrace the economic potential of a legal psychedelic mushrooms industry? Or do you imagine that it will be smaller, more adaptable nations that will be the primary players in the legal mushroom industry? Dennis, I, I hope that as people um, open their minds and get educated around psychedelic medicine, that the onus is not, is not first on economic benefit, but is on first on, on the health of your populations. Is on, is on the fact that we can recognize that we have people who get treated with these extraordinarily powerful pharmaceutical drugs that don't work for them, you know, or, or the ones where it quote-unquote works. You're talking about people having a choice between being somewhat unstable, you know, prone to having uh, some sort of a, a, you know, a psychotic or, 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 or a, you know, psychiatric um, incident, or they're zombies. Right, because they're so drugged up that they're, they're, there's some sort of vanilla version of who they really are. And so when we get to a place where we say, as a government, our job is to really seek the interest of our citizenry. And in this particular area of health, where they have not been well served, either because we did not have the tools in place, which we now understand some of the tools that are available to us, but more than anything, we are, have to be motivated to ensure that we are helping folks to, to, to achieve the optimum level of health and wellness, okay? And in the pursuit of that, there will be lots of economic gain. But I, I believe very strongly that if we focus first on, from a governmental perspective, bringing that level of, of, of mental health and wellness to our populations, that that will be the most significant driver of, of regulatory change because we will now understand that in the right use this is extremely powerful extremely safe and extremely um, impactful to people and that should drive what we do as far as i'm concerned and i don't really believe that you know again the lesson of realizing that western medic medicine had this perspective and indigenous cultures had this perspective and guess what at some level they could have both learned from one another how do we take that and move that forward as opposed to you know, this, this sort of tried and true method of thinking that hasn't served us, that this way is better and this way is backward, right? It hasn't served us. Now we're realizing that this way was right the whole time. Now how do we learn from it, but also make sure that it's delivered in a manner that serves our entire populations in a, in a, in a, in a, in a safe manner? That's important. So I want to give a shout out to my brother, Darren Springer, AKA Darren LeBaron, who recently headed up the Silo Wellness Mushroom Growers Retreat in Montego Bay. I believe they are wrapping up today as of this podcast recording. 
Have you had an opportunity to get to know Darren? Well, I met Darren, you know, we've chatted in the whole pandemic world um, over the last few months, but I was in London earlier this year and I got a chance to meet with him there, sit down. You know, he took me on a tour of his, uh, his mushroom growing um, setup over there. It was quite impressive. Um, you know, it's really heartening to realize how much knowledge um, he has and how many, you know, that's out there. You know, there's so many knowledgeable people about this whole space and it's really always fascinating for me because it's an opportunity to learn. Um, and then, yeah, so we have a workshop going on this weekend, which I've not, which I've not been into. I've been sort of like back on the corporate track since we wrapped Canex. But, um, you know, it's, it's, that's what we want to facilitate, Dennis. At the end of the day, how do we get more people to participate in the industry, you know, if they want to? You know, we're open. We look for folks here in Jamaica. We want to make sure that our footprint in Jamaica is not a legacy of being so clever that we came when it was legal um, to take advantage and grow a business. But, you know, we, we came when it was illegal to set up shop, but our lasting legacy is that we created value. We, we, we transferred knowledge. You know, we got people into a position where, you know, if they want to go and do mushroom cultivation or science or product development or what have you around the world, they have the skill set to do it. And, you know, I'll I take you back a little bit to something you asked me about with Marley One before that I think is important. We see Marley One, which is a functional mushroom product, so it's not psychedelic. And so I get the question often, you know, is it sort of, you know, are we, are we taking advantage of the psychedelic movement to come out with a non-psychedelic functional mushroom product, right? Which is nonsense. I mean, the functional mushroom space is growing greatly because people have a greater interest in natural um, foods, you know, natural compounds that can help them. And that's what functional mushrooms represent. But for the psychedelic industry, what we see and why we pursue this route, and it's not about us as a company. Yes, I have, I have to answer to my shareholders and my stakeholders and all the rest of it. But what Marley One will do for this industry is it gets people to ask questions about mushrooms that wouldn't have been asking the questions before. They're now asking questions about mushrooms as pertain to the health benefits of mushrooms. And in the process, you start to subconsciously destigmatize mushrooms, right? Outside of the, cult, the culinary mushroom, you start to destigmatize it. And as people see the benefits and they feel better, you know, better sleep, feeling more alert and focused, you know, better digestive system, a stronger, a stronger immunity system, all of these different benefits that are very apparent from using some of these different species, we anticipate and expect that people will be much more interested I'm much more open to having a more expansive conversation about psychedelic mushrooms. And so in the pathway to the mission of how do we help the most people today, we lower the stigma, we make people more comfortable, and ultimately, in our, in our estimation, we get more people interested in having the transformative um, experience that psychedelics offer. And as a consequence of that, we are helping more people today. So it's a, I just wanted to share that so people, under, you know, you understand where Marley One as a functional mushroom brand at the moment sits relative to helping to expand the, the whole psychedelic um, industry space. And that's just for now. I mean, we are going to be introducing psychedelic um, formulations of products into the Marley brand. Uh, not today, but this is what we see as being necessary to get people to be more open, to ask better questions, and thereafter be comfortable to seek 
psychedelic treatment. So we've covered a lot of what I wanted to touch on today, but I'd love to wrap up hearing about any mycopreneurial advice that you have for our listeners who are in their own various stages of launching and managing mushroom-related businesses. We have mushroom farmers, professional mycologists, psychotherapists, material scientists, all kinds of mycopreneurs in our audience. And all of us would love for you to share some of your guiding philosophies, strategies, and or wisdom that you've employed along your path to get where you are today. So what advice do you have for the aspiring mycopreneur to become successful and prosperous in a sustained capacity in this emerging psychedelic and functional mushroom industry? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really one for, you know, sort of professing advice, but what I could tell you that guides me is at the end of the day is always to remember that we are in a, you know, I'm in this wonderful position. Okay. Um, and I, I equates to we, but in this wonderful position of being able to help people. You know, this is a natural compound. This is a, the fungi is, is, allows people to be better, you know, a better version of themselves. And that's a very powerful um, opportunity we have to help people. So at the end of the day, whatever the, the challenges are that come every single day, whatever the advice you get that takes you instead of going left, it tells you to go right. And then instead of going right, it tells you to go left. I mean, we have all these things. Whatever disappointments we go through, the thing that burns for me, that keeps me completely motivated, is remembering that we are on a pathway that allows us to help a lot of people. And in doing that and keeping that at the forefront with, 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 with smart decisions, with you know, being as fair as we can while being as tough as we need to be, we will get there. We will, we will, we will make the smart decisions to, to help support our business. But our business is only going to be as strong as the environment that we're pursuing. And that means the ability to open the market, to collaborate with other, with other people in this space, to really sort of put your heads together, because we're nowhere yet. Psychedelics is nowhere yet. We're not at a point yet where our businesses should be competing at the expense of progress, right? We're not at that point yet. We're at the point now where we have to build up this industry and we have to collaborate, but we cannot lose sight of why we're here. And I think once you keep that for, you know, foremost in what you're doing, the legislation, the legal decisions, the science, the, the, the product development, the whole nine yards will fall in line and be a lot more effective than if we sort of get so caught up in how great we are in terms of cultivation, how great we are in terms of branding, and how great we are in terms of marketing plans. You know, it will serve us in, 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 in longer stead. That, that's what guides me. So, Dennis, I don't know if that, that's of any use to anyone listening, but, you know, that's what helps me when I get too caught up in the, the challenge of the moment or the opportunity of tomorrow is really recognizing the fact of what's driving my ability to be in this industry. And I don't think we should lose sight of that. Douglas, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to connect with us today. And we certainly hope we have a chance to connect with you in person in the near future at an upcoming Silo Wellness function. Best of luck for continued prosperity. And thanks for the many contributions that you're making to the emerging psychedelics industry in Jamaica, in the Caribbean, and worldwide. Thank you, Dennis, for your time. And thank you for helping to spread the word of what we're all doing in this industry. There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many mycopreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. 
I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the microverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at Micopreneur Podcast. That's the handle. Don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Micopreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Micopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Micopreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Micopreneur Podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.